This episode is sponsored by Grizz Targets and Archery, hands down the best targets made right here in Alberta. I'm very thankful to have partnered with these amazing guys putting out high quality products. Their targets range in all sizes. The Backpacker is their most portable target, great for checking your sights while you're in the backcountry to make sure your arrow is still flying true. This thinner 12 inch by 12 inch target can double as a seat or a flat surface when cooking. Multi-purpose like that is essential when packing light. When you want to have some fun testing your skills at long distances, the Kodiak makes for the perfect target. It boasts a massive 48 inch by 48 inch surface to assure you that you won't be digging in the grass for your arrows. It's also great for when your buddies and you want to shoot together without having to take turns. Grizz makes quality targets affordable with options for interchangeable cells that keep you from needing to buy an entirely new target when the bullseye gets worn. They also have options for frames and stands and targets for field points and broadheads. You want a target that's as tough as you? Get Grizzly Tough with Grizz Targets and Archery. Be sure to check them out at grizztargetsarchery.ca. This episode is sponsored by CND Archery. CND is Alberta owned and operated, offering two pro shops in Rosalind and Malay. Owners Corey and Doug have more than 25 years of combined knowledge and experience to get you set up properly and to maintain your gear for years to come. CND Archery is Canada's only distributor of expedition bows. They carry tons of great gear that you won't find anywhere else. Corey and Doug support local by carrying many Alberta-made products from arrows to accessories. Get in touch with the guys on Facebook or Instagram today at CND Archery to set up your visit. This episode of Alberta Wildlife Stories is sponsored by Slayer Calls. Bill Ayer, CEO and founder of Slayer, puts in immense workmanship and quality control into every one of his calls. Not one of his products makes it into your hands without first meeting his high standards. Slayer currently makes calls for waterfowl, elk, and turkey. Their double reed duck calls boast superior craftsmanship and award-winning performance with wildly loud sound. They have a full range of elk reeds, custom bugle tubes, and in my opinion, the best push-button elk call on the market, known as the Enchantress. This push-button call allows you to get a variety of noises, from great cow sounds to estrus buzzes and big location bugles when paired with the swagger tube. Slayer makes many other products, from goose calls and turkey reeds to lanyards, bags, and gear. They even have online courses to get you calling like a pro. Check out everything they have to offer at slayercalls.com and call the wild. Welcome to another episode of Alberta Wildlife Stories. My next guest, Luke Squires, is an Albertan that lives for the outdoors. He is known for his platform titled Squires Outside, where he documents his time in the province's amazing wilderness. Luke ties together his photos and videos with exceptional writing to fully capture the moment. I personally love that he goes into finite detail with what he uses and why when hunting and fishing. He's always tinkering with his setups to get the most out of them. Without further ado, Luke, how are you doing? Hey, Aaron, I'm doing good. How are you doing today? Doing good, man. Sorry, <laughs> it's a little rough on the intro there, but uh, yeah, I'm stoked to finally talk to you tonight. Um, yeah. I know, I think you were probably one of the first people to message me after, I think, like the first episode of Aaron and got in touch. So I really appreciate all the support and everything um, throughout the time of the show and everything. It's been really nice getting to know you and talking to you and everything there, too. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen one of the local guys, I believe he's from Edmonton, uh, I think his Instagram handle is Dipper Dan. I think he shared it to his story and 
Yeah, absolutely. Just love the idea of something to uh, a platform for Albertans to share their time in the wild. And, and yeah, I listened to a lot of podcasts, so I was definitely going to be into it. Nice. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. I figured you might listen to a lot with uh, what you do for work. We It came up that we work in really similar fields, but you're in HVAC as well, but you're doing more refrigeration stuff, eh? Yeah, you bet. A lot of commercial air conditioning and stuff and a lot of little remote sites around town and around central Alberta. So I'm just always got some windshield time and what better way to spend that time than driving around listening to podcasts and stuff, right? Yeah, that's the same for me, for sure. It's definitely a lot of uh, going to calls, driving all over the place and spending a lot of minutes behind the wheel. So it's pretty easy to get through some of the episodes of different pods. Absolutely. Um, so you're out in like Red Deer, Black Hall's area. That's kind yeah, of that's right. yeah, exactly. I, I came to Red Deer in 2014. I'm originally from Newfoundland. Oh, no um, way. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, don't have much of an accent. I get that a lot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, came to Red Deer in 2014 and you know, just kind of had a backpack and looking to get into the trades kind of thing. And, you know, just got here before oil field crash. So luckily I, I managed to snag a blue book and I've been, been employed since. So been a good good little while in alberta here so uh were you hunting and fishing and everything on the east coast as well or was that something you more got into when you got into alberta yeah definitely more something that i got into when i got to alberta like my grandfather he was a he was a moose hunter uh, back home uh, but when i was young he had a he had an aneurysm and so um by the time i got to you know uh, my my tens early tens uh they were doing a lot of truck hunting kind of thing. And it was just him and mm-hmm. my, uh, my uncle, John, uh, his, his brother-in-law, they were kind of just kind of driving around and you know, getting his moose and stuff. And, you know, he wasn't, uh, yeah, you know, his health took a, took a big hit after that. So my, uh, my parents wouldn't let me go hunting with him really. You know, it was kind of their time. I always wanted to, um, I did a little bit of snaring rabbits and stuff around the family cabin. Nice. Uh, a lot of trouting you know we, we had a cabin on a pond full of trout so that was that was always something i did growing up you know but uh yeah the big game hunting no i didn't do any until i came to alberta yeah and then uh when you got here like, what what inspired you to start was it somebody you met with it stuff you're watching or yeah you know what? i uh i came up here and within like six months i found my now wife uh uh, didn't have a whole lot of single time in Alberta, but yeah, met my, uh, the love of my life and, uh, her uncle, a couple years into our relationship, her uncle, Jimmy, uh, who lives east of here, Stetler area, he got me into deer hunting, uh, just kind of went to Cabela's, bought a, uh, you know, just a savage 30 out six, asked the guy behind the counter, what would you put on for a scope? And he gave me like a bushnell banner, some piece of crap. And, uh, <laughs> didn't, I had, you know, he's like, do you have rings? And at the time I was like, I don't know what that is. And so <laughs> yeah, he just reached into the drawer and grabbed two rings from like their, I don't know, missing pieces pile and gave me rings. I thought, well, that's great. You know, one less thing I got to purchase ended up being a bit of trouble because it didn't fit right. And missed a couple deer because of it, you know, the scopes moving half an inch in the rear end didn't catch that until we were hunting, but yeah. It's, uh, yeah, just kind of got into it. Just one year, just, just, hey, do your hunter's education. Come with us. We drive around. It was kind of truck hunting, but. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, that's really cool though. That's hilarious with the the rings and stuff. I see now you uh, the levels on on all your stuff, and you're getting pretty adamant about mounting your scopes and doing everything very precise now on the rifle too. Not only just on your bow, but yeah, yeah. A little OCD now. Yeah, that would that, that that whole experience is kind of like a little bit of a nightmare in my memories, you know. Yeah. So yeah, we'll <laughs> correct you for the future, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, so definitely on definitely on a better path now. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that OCD is what gets me too with everything. It's too many different things that can change any shot. It's just so frustrating. Yeah, definitely. It, it can be a, to be a bit of a hindrance when you know it's like, oh, I didn't square that one arrow right or something. It's like, dang, no, that one's in my quiver. Which that, Was that number six or number 10? Which yeah, one was that? Dang. <laughs> uh, That's something worth mentioning. That So it's like, so you're numbering your veins? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if a lot of people do that, but I think it's a really good thing to bring up when you mention numbering your arrows, because uh, I don't know if everybody does that. It's something I started doing for sure, especially when building like a whole new bundle, let's say 12 arrows or something like that. I'll go and number them all off, which I'm assuming you're doing as well. And then you pick out those odd flyers or the ones that no matter what you do, seem to not be participating in any group or anything. Absolutely. I'll throw like a, the letter P in front of the first three and I'll just practice with those three. Those will be my, you know, don't care if I'm grouping them at 20 yards kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Worried about, worried about Nick and Knox or busting through Fletchers and stuff. And then, yeah. and then I'll put an H behind the next three and I'm going to set those in the corner and those are going to be my hunting arrows. So those are going to be my first three hunting arrows anyway. That's sitting my five, five arrow quiver, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, good way to do it for sure. And then you can at least weed out yeah, any yeah, kind of offshot flyers. Yeah, if you, uh, if you get the dial, you know, the, the yardage and you move back to 70 and your dial's sitting at 40, you might, you know, eat a bit of dirt. Yeah. You might want to know what arrow that was. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I did want to mention too, I know you just briefly mentioned with the love of your life in Alberta and everything there prior to, uh, it was her uncle there that was taking you out or, but, yeah, uh, yeah, I wanted to congratulate you on becoming a father. That's something I wanted to get into real early. I wanted to say that almost in the intro, right after the intro, but here we are almost probably 10 minutes in already. But <laughs> Well, thank you All very right. much. Yeah, it's, it's quite the experience, that's for sure. So you have a daughter, and what is she now, like nine weeks or something? Like two months yeah. here? Is yeah, that she's, she'll be two months here in a couple of days. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how time flies, you know. It's, they're growing so fast in that first, first little bit, anyhow. No doubt. Oh, it's great, especially when they're toddlers and like young men. It's like I was actually just talking to my brother about this the other night, and it was funny because he has a daughter right now too. She's probably like seven or eight months now, um, or nine months, and we were just talking about how, especially in this initial phase of growing up, like we're like man from twenty-five to thirty-five. It's like you don't really change that much. Like you pretty much look like the same dude, you know. Yeah, <laughs> not a lot of changes <laughs> from like you know, newborn to ten. It's like astronomical. <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. Learning how to talk and walk, and yeah. Honestly, coming home from work, you're like, oh my god, you seem bigger. You seem like you know how to operate your little hands a little better. You know, it's it's insane. It is so true, and it's funny because I'm not too much farther ahead. Like you know, with my son, they're being just over two and a half years old. I'm not too much farther ahead in the game as you, but. It is wild, and then it's funny because I look at guys that have, like, you know, maybe a set of twins and another one running around them, and I'm like, 
Yeah, that guy knows a heck of a lot more about the uh, whole parenting <laughs> or dealing with myself, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's insane, man. I don't know. Thinking about having, an, uh, if you think about having a second one right now and then, like, having the second one at the current stage of this one with a, you know, a year and a half one running around yeah. you and, oh, that'd be crazy. It's so funny because it's such a, it's like a conversation you almost don't want to have for like a few years after, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, I'm not really shut out to the idea, but it's really hard to have that conversation about if you want to have another one with like, you know, everybody, like family members are like, well, when's the next one? And you're like, yeah. man, it's been like a month, like, what do you, <laughs> it's like, give us a break here. Yeah. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Good. So how is that uh, so far? How have you found that? that's changed your life it's for you and your wife is relearning how to do everything and absolutely so much stuff being done one-handed you know uh you know she's amazing she's doing a great job of raising my daughter and and, you know taking on that motherhood role and it's just so crazy how it's natural to them like it just comes yeah i'm very proud of her what she's doing and yeah she lets me sleep through the night most nights like i'm a pretty lucky man i think you know i get i still get a little bit of sleep so it's it's hard to complain yeah no that's good man and it's it's such a tough thing i know for my wife and myself it was a lot of uh like prior to having our son we did a lot of stuff together like we got a lot of things done like i mentioned in a previous episode there that we had built a tiny home and stuff like we were so used to taking things hands-on and working on them together that all of a sudden when we had this little kid that like it just threw us for a loop because now all of a sudden it's like one person can kind of take care of things and one person is taking care of the kid and it's like no matter what you're all it's like you're shorthanded all of a sudden right you're like yeah so oh yeah the the, the drying machine's going off the dishwasher's going off <laughs> it's, it's all on you now yeah yeah 100 no, that's funny man and kind of the same way for me like my my wife took quite a bit of, you know, I was trying to get up with her here and there. And then the odd nights I would just have to go run to the couch and sleep. Cause yeah, with, I know like, you know, being on call and stuff like that, it's, we're still up pretty late and having pretty long evenings just work-wise anyway, when you're on call too. So it gets really hard to juggle. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, man. So uh, now you have a new hunting and fishing buddy as she gets older. Hey, That'll yeah, be nice I can't wait for shed hunting in particular. Yeah, hey. Can't wait. Yeah. And yeah, it's going to be awesome. I think that's such a good way to just get them outside. Like, it's like even with my son at two and a half, it's really hard to get him engaged in like what a lot of stuff is. You know, even fishing, it's like engaged for like maybe half hour, 45 minutes, and then time to go on to other things. So, yeah, I think shed hunting is a great one to just get outside, get out of the house, get them kind of engaged in looking at what's going on around them, what's going on in, in the wilderness and stuff. It's really good. Yeah. Take a couple from your pile and, you know, kind of uh, spread them out through that property and, you know, maybe drop a pin so you don't forget where they were and, and let them, <laughs> you know, kind of find them and get the excitement in them anyway. And, you know, the yeah, uh, no sense doubt. of achievement real. Yeah. It'd be yeah. good. It'd be good. Well, that'll be so funny. That'll be yeah. awesome. Oh, it'd be good. Can't wait. Uh, and then, when did you decide then in the, to start Squires Outside? Because So I did mention that, yeah, your platform, Squires Outside, it, you've got pretty much everything. You've got stuff on Instagram. You've got videos on YouTube. Um, when did you decide to start documenting and sharing all of your experiences? You know, it, was, it wasn't long. Ah, gee. I would say right at the beginning of COVID probably. You know, I kind of realized uh, 
I'm an adult onset hunter. You know, I was into my Mm -hmm. 20s well before I got into big game hunting. And, you know, the whole idea was there's got to be more guys and girls out there with uh, similar experiences where, you know, you kind of wanted to your whole life or, or you thought about it, just didn't have the means or the people around you or the friend group that, that was deep into it to, to go try it out or, or who to ask on or where to start. And so, you know, the whole idea was, Hey, do you want, I'm doing this. I'm having a great time. I'm going to share it. I'm going to have a laugh, cook some meals. Hopefully, you know, someone out there can be like, Hey, do you want, this guy did it as an, as a, as a young adult. Why can't I, you know? Yeah, man. It's kind of like, that was kind of the idea. And uh, yeah, I've just been running with it since, just kind of having fun with it, not really caring too much about um, you know, what other people thought of it, you know, just kind of whatever. It is what I'm doing, so. Yeah, I really like that. And that direction is just a really good way to keep a level head doing it all. Because, yeah, honestly, I think it's great that exactly like you said, like, it's good inspiration for other people to be like, this guy's out there doing it. I should too. And it is one of those things I think like you're right that it seems like you know something that if you haven't done it until later in life, it feels like you have to be raised to doing it. Like people are, oh, you know, my uncle or like same thing, you know, my grandpa or my father, someone took me out all the time to do it. And it, it almost seems like you have to be raised that way in order to enjoy it. But it's like, no man, like you can actually had a buddy who's uh, one of their family friends. I think he was like 45. Uh, they got into hunting and yeah, he, he bought his first white tail tag at 45 and every year since it's just been like die hard into it. And it's like, it's just never too late to do it. Right? Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Get someone into yeah. it at that age. That's, that's great. Yeah. yeah. No, it's like build the wall <laughs> as quick as you can. Heck yeah. Yeah. yeah good for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't want to cut you off there. What were you saying? No, I was just saying how great that is. I think that's awesome getting somebody into it that late in life or, you know, midlife, I guess we could call it. Yeah. Yeah. And to just take on like a whole new endeavor like that is pretty cool for sure. Yeah. There's so much to learn and stuff. I mean, you know, by the time you get to your, your forties, I'm sure you've got a lot of stuff pretty nailed down. So to take on something like that, I mean, it's a whole new learning curve from there. So, you know, my hat's yeah. off to him, you know, good for him taking that, taking on that new, new hobby and endeavor good for him yeah for sure and i mean that being said so you were saying you guys were doing kind of some truck on rifle stuff and i think you do lots of really awesome just even shooting range stuff at longer distances and everything it seems like you enjoy your time behind a rifle for sure but also seems like you've been successful with the bow and enjoying that as well when did you decide you wanted to kind of make that jump like into the bow hunting stuff yeah, you know, I did the truck hunting thing for the first couple of years. And, you know, uh, honestly, this is going to be so cliche and, and dorky. But uh, honestly, when Meat Eater hit Netflix and I started seeing what Steve Ranello was up to, yeah. I was like, that's hunting. That's what I want. I want to be driving around in a Alberta tree stand with leather seats and a heated steering wheel. I don't want to be at that. You know, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of wanted to, I wanted to hop out. I want to go experience it. I want to be out there before the sun come up. I want to see what's going on. You know, I want to see some tracks, hear the birds come to life and, you know, maybe, you know, do some more learning. Not, not necessarily just driving around and hoping you bump a buck or two or never know what you're going to run into. And, you know, and all the, the trouble that comes with that, you know, all the, there's a lot of laws and stuff that 
you know, truck hunters have to be very careful around uh, yeah. not not break right so i kind of wanted to move away from that and um yeah the archery seemed seemed to be like a really uh, open door to that like you can't you can't really truck hunt and do archery right so i mean i started with the rifle I, it was only oh geez i think i did three years of truck hunting yeah you know um until I kind of said, yeah, that's enough of that. And found a piece of uh, Ducks Unlimited, Alberta Conservation Association. They got a bunch of, um, I shouldn't be saying this probably, but a lot of like land that is public access, foot access only. Yeah. What am I saying? I shouldn't be saying this. Let's get more people out there. Um, yeah. It's the opposite. That's what they want you to say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I went out there. Um, yeah. And got a buck, you know, just kind of, just sitting watching the sunrise hitting the uh the east east face of some hills and and had the a buck come up and and took him uh bit of track a bit of a story with that one but uh yeah and then got the game cart and you know hauled it out a kilometer or two and back to to the road you know so right. it's you know that was my first real taste of you know not just hopping out of a truck and running over to the next fence line kind of thing so yeah well, that's super cool though and that's a really good way to do it i think honestly yeah it's a good shout out for the uh ducks unlimited properties because we pay into it like you know i think every time that we're buying different tags or different things and we're paying into conservation or when you're rounding up that dollar at cabela's or anytime you're you know donating money towards conservation a lot of that's going to people like you know ducks unlimited to uh maintain properties like that so yeah you know there's a place for people to go and you know go and hunt enjoy the wilderness and do that kind of stuff and it's so important because i know you've probably been in the same situation i know i'm in it in the bow zone where uh you start looking for places to hunt even an hour from your house and it sure as heck looks like asking for a lot of permission there's not very much land that you can just go and hunt on so have things like that like the ducks unlimited stuff and the app they have for like you know keeping track of some of their properties and some of their lots of land and stuff is really really nice to have access to for everybody really so for even conservation purposes of nature itself like there's just nothing going on on that property other maybe than some you know big game and waterfowl hunting but other than that it's there's no agriculture ripping through it there's nothing crazy ripping through it you know it's yeah oh 100 and then to uh to take my first decent buck off a piece of Ducks Unlimited land, you know, it kind of felt good too. My father was involved with Ducks Unlimited quite a bit growing oh, up. Cool. He, yeah, he uh, did all the banquets and stuff, was a, a member on the, uh, I don't know, I don't know what the division was back there, just back yeah. in Newfoundland in Clarenville, was the name of the town. And uh, yeah, so he was always involved. Actually, he was nominated for Volunteer of the Year uh, a couple years back. Um, he was nominated. He lost to a gentleman, I believe, in Edmonton, actually, who uh, who was awarded mm-hmm. that year. But uh, it was cool for him to get nominated. You know, uh, as a you know, he wasn't a big hunter or anything, but he knew the importance of keeping some of our land for for ducks and and clean water and stuff like that. So it was it was yeah. cool. It was cool to take a buck off off a piece of duck land. That's for sure. That one's going to stick with me for a while. Oh, 100 percent, dude. That's really cool. Especially with yeah, your father working in that field and working with them too. That's really cool. You betcha. Yeah, I think it's funny because a lot of times, you know, when lots of different, I think like arguments come up with like, 
we've all kind of heard the arguments of hunting and conservation and people being like, oh, you know, ruthlessly out there killing things when really paying for tags and paying for everything that we're doing is really going hand in hand to making sure that those animals are still on this planet and have a habitat to live in and everything. But I think it's kind of comical that people don't realize that even with like, with ammo sales, like I can't remember what it is, but there's a percentage I'm correct of uh, sales of ammunition that go directly into conservation. Hmm. And, yeah, uh, I know that's a thing in America. Is that a thing in Canada? Is it? Maybe I'm uh, totally wrong then. I thought it was this percentage in Canada too, but maybe it is only an American thing. Maybe I'm not sure. But yeah, who knows? I know that you know most hunters care more about the big game than than the average Joe. That's for sure. And you know the the price mm-hmm. of our tags and all that goes gets allocated to the conservation stuff and we definitely contribute the most out of any other kind of um hobby group in in the public you know that's for sure yeah and it is nice i think i did mention it in a previous episode but i still just love that quote that like no big game animal or fish species that has been you know tagged or taken for fishing or anything like that has ever actually like been extinct or come to being extinct it's you know there's sure there's maybe some lakes that have got run over with winter kill or maybe overfished or something like that but yeah just uh as the land management goes it seems like everyone's always worried about all these hunters hunting everything in real in reality like those are the farthest animals from yeah yeah being worried about, so. i mean i heard a stat now i don't know if this is 100 percent accurate or whatever but 50 percent of fawns uh don't see their first birthday i probably heard that on the meteor podcast from somebody yeah. who's way smarter than me but i remember that, <laughs> that one stuck with me you know you got uh you know you got cars hitting stuff you got coyotes you have just yeah. natural disasters you have just literal temperatures here in alberta getting so cold you know things just literally curl up and die you know so i mean and that comes full circle too you know people saying oh if you kill all the big bucks or whatever only shoot the small bucks um we're gonna affect the genetics and all this jazz well i mean the semi ripping down highway too doesn't care how many points are on the top of that mule deer's head or whitetail's head you know he's gonna smoke that moose smoke that elk deer whatever Mm -hmm. coyotes don't care predators don't care so like to think that hunters have a huge influence on stuff like that i think we're living a little bit of a dream world that way but i for sure feel like i heard the guess that you're sp- talking about with me neither there because yeah that really sat with me as well i can't remember now. it sounds so familiar with how you're describing it because yeah it's like even with like predator control and stuff they're like oh you, like you think that you know killing the odd coyote will you know affect predator control at all it's like no <laughs> it's like such a small percentage of like the bigger window it's of dang fun open. though is dang fun shooting them cars. Oh, oh 100%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. True, man. Heck yeah. Oh, it's funny. So then when you got into archery there, like I noticed, and I know we bring it up, but I love your bow setup. Like your bow setup is probably 100%. I don't know. Like now it's hard because there's so many bows and everything out there that a guy could go look at and try, but. Yeah, you're running the B3X, right? It's the 33-inch B3X? You betcha, yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. You don't see a lot of guys running the big one, and I love it. I was like, when I noticed that, that's what you were using, I was like, oh, dude, that is, like, 
I love a big bow like that. Axle to axle is nice. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this thing is stellar. And then are you, you're running a spot hog on that? Like with yeah, the got, dial? Yeah, the Fast Eddie XL dual pin. Well, I got two pins, so it's, a, it's like a single stack with a pin at the top and then one halfway down the, you know, in line with the top one, if you will. Yeah, so to be honest, because I know they do that. I think that Fast Eddie or they do another spot hog that's like a three pin coming in from the side instead of like the single vertical pin with like the two lights on it or the two yeah fibers yes you bet yeah fiber pins on it but um i really when i was i think i was talking with adrian there when we were kind of talking about some of the target panic stuff Mm -hmm. um but i was really interested in going from you know just we're going to that like going to that single pin vertical I don't know what you like. Have you had experience with shooting, say, like a five pin horizontal or a three pin horizontal? Absolutely. Yeah. My first bow, actually, so when I got in the archery, I had a friend who had a bow and I just, you know, similar draw length. I was like, let me try this thing out. So didn't think much yeah. of it, shot it. And I was like, dang, that's cool. So, uh, you know, just kind of wanted to do it on the cheap Ontario archery supply. Haley Daniels, great, great crowd to work with when it comes to archery stuff. Um, they were doing like a Facebook raffle. So I bought like a $20 ticket, you know, shh, the wife doesn't know. So yeah. <laughs> I went and bought this $20 ticket and then I won the option of that or a, like a, a vertical bow or a crossbow. I believe there's another option I forget, but I was like, I was dead set. I'm, I'm getting that bow. So it was a PSE stinger ready to hunt package. I don't know yep. the axle axle, but it came with just like a PSE branded side pin five five pin from the side kind of thing like a stabilizer it had a dropway rest which i thought was kind of cool instead of those whisker biscuits big fan of yeah that's interesting. yeah uh it had a real cool pattern actually on the riser it was like uh it was like black with like euro european mount or uh, skulls of white tails mule deer elk all up and down crazy yeah it's pretty cool you know so um relatively new in the hunting at that point i was like heck yeah i got a bow so then I, uh, I won that. I ripped out to uh, tackle and trails in Rocky Mountain Hills. And uh, they had some arrows and stuff. And I told Buddy, I was like, give me the cheapest ones you got. And there's some type of Easton power plate or something. I bought those and I started tinkering with it and had a great time with that. I actually used that one. Jeez, uh, I was shooting for a year. I hunted with it. Had one opportunity at like last like like borderline illegal like and this small like small buck was like looking at me dead on stomping the ground. Actually, I got a picture of him on trail camera stomping the ground with his leg up. I was in the ground blind twenty yards just out of frame, and uh, yeah, I was full draw. And I was just like it's too dark, and like I didn't know what I was doing. I was shooting a rage. I had these arrows. Uh, didn't know how to anchor you know just so new to it um fast forward a year later uh, same bow but i met up with a gentleman here in central named cameron herbert um he's a factory shooter for pse absolute stud um he got my <laughs> bow tuned up you know just great guy all around great guy and he's just so into archer i mean he shoots for pse factory like staff kind of on the yeah. ASA tour and stuff. So he knows what he's doing. Got me all rigged up. And he had like fixed points flying with the field, field points. And 
fixed blade, sorry, fixed points, fixed blade heads flying with my field points. And I yeah. was just all so confident. And I was like, all right, I'm getting a buck this year, whitetail buck, uh, with my general tag with this bow. So I was sitting in the ground blind, and my one YouTube video there. Didn't get the kill shot, but, you know, just smoked that deer with the bow. And I got it with that, that PSE with that five pin out the side kind of thing. I'm sorry, that, that took a long time for me to say I killed a bow, uh, buck with a five pin. <laughs> I think that's your initial, initial question, but I'll, I'll, uh, I just love talking about it. Yeah, that's all good. It was just like, I was starting to get so intrigued with the, the story of how you want a bow and like got it for free. I almost totally forgot I even asked you that question. <laughs> I was like, yeah. man, that's unreal that you like want a bow and then you got like straight into bow hunting and got like really close to a buck and then, yeah, started to learn from that guy. So, yeah. sorry, that year then you did take a, a buck with that bow? I did, yes. And with that PSE branded site, on, it just says PSE on the side of the housing. So yeah, it's, it's not even like a trophy ridge or, or you know, any of the black gold or anything. It's just PSE. Yeah. Actually, so, fun fact with that one is halfway through the summer when I was practicing with it, the bubble level fell out, so I didn't even have a bubble on that thing. Really? Yeah, I know everyone's always so fussy. You got to get that bubble straight. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it, when I first started, and I, I don't know, I could catch some flack for saying this, but <laughs> when I first started shooting, I didn't even look at that bubble no. for like months. <laughs> and I mean, the groups, and I mean, I don't know, 20, 20, 30 yards, whatever. You should, everyone should have good groups of 20, 30 yards. But yeah, I mean, for the first few months, I wasn't complaining about my group sizes without looking at that bubble. I'm sure, yeah, if I magnify that issue up to 100 yards, well, 60, 70, 80 yards, yeah probably start to show a different story but you know and and talking to some of these guys like i'm sure adrian all these guys absolute studs with, with the archery and stuff but you know a yeah. lot of these bows floating around the guys are hunting with the you know is the is the sight level to the riser you know like how how level is your bow because mm -hmm. your sight is level you know what i'm saying so yeah yeah i get it i didn't i didn't look at it either obviously i didn't have one to look at and i killed the buck you know so I mean, well, close, close shop. But... Yeah. But so, like, even then, like, when you look at, I don't know if you have any of those, like, when I first got into, like, bow tuning stuff, like, again, I know I, I don't have a press or anything like that, or even a draw board. I've, I should probably just make myself a draw board. But one thing that bothered me was how hard it was to even get, a like, a stand to just stand the bow up, like, straight. To, like how you know like with where your you know your arms go into your cams are like the limbs like how do you get your bow like perfectly mounted and vertically level in order to level everything else off of it you know what i mean that's like stuff yeah 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 no, nobody really mentions that you're just like this thing is such a wild shape like stand it straight up is a feat in itself like it's... absolutely those bow voices yeah. aren't cheap either i don't think i don't have one i yeah. got i got cam i rely on him <laughs> yeah he tunes my shit he does a great job so what uh when we go back to talking about that site there mm -hmm. with the fans coming i just personally have that question a lot for you because 100 percent, i've been looking at that fast study a, a big reason why i i've been looking towards a single pin vertical and i know my buddy Braden I shoot with all the time was saying like, okay, well, what happens when you want to adjust your dial on the side and everything like that for farther shots or whatever? And it's like, you know, and realistically on hunting, you know, if your top pin's 20 and your 
second pins like whatever 40 something or 30 something you know like getting close to 20 to 40 or whatever in your your two pins there um it's like you shouldn't theoretically i mean i'm personally not really shooting past 40 with a bow myself unless you need like a follow-up shot quick or something but it's like, i don't know it's like I, I don't see myself really trying to dial the dial anyway before making a shot on like a big game animal i don't know but personally what i find was the pins coming in from the side i find i'm way more likely to hover that like that actual lit up portion of the pin left or right more like kind of torquing on the bow left or right more whereas i feel like with a vertical pin i'll be like left and right balanced and it'd be like an up and down thing i don't know if i can explain that properly i'm picking up, I'm picking up where you're laying down yeah i can yeah. picture that you know um yeah i mean i moved to it relatively early in my archery career if you will um i had a couple years with the, the old the old PSC there but i see what you're saying i got mixed feelings about it to be honest um i did post it up for sale at one point i just didn't even bother going yeah. through with it um yeah the single pin it is nice it's really nice for like just focusing on a target um the one thing I would say, yeah, you're definitely putting yourself at a disadvantage when it comes to like, if you can't move and you gotta change your sight, you're kind of hooped. Like any type of spot and stop, you'll be your hunting. If uh, you kind of overjudge where you need to be to get your shot, stand up or something, and he, you're right on top of them and you can't make no noise. I mean, those fast eddies are made of a lot of metal. But trying to turn that wheel. You can get in trouble. You can get in trouble. They're good. I don't mind it. I mean, it's so tough. It's such a personal preference. And to be honest, if you can get your hands on one to try out, like a buddy bow or something, I would recommend trying it. You're going to love it shooting at your grizz targets. You're going to absolutely love doing it. It's, yeah. it's, it's what target, target archers use, right? They use single pins. That's for yeah. reason. You know, they also use like 48-inch stabilizers for a reason, right? They, drew, they do like 40 pound draw weight, a whole bunch yeah. or no, not very much let up. I think is how it works. The balance, I think they don't have much let up. I don't know. Anyway, they do a bunch of stuff for target shooting and single pin is one of those things, right? Mm-hmm. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. It's uh, I wanted to try it. You know, I follow like, you know, uh, Dan Staten, Elk Shape, all those guys. They're all running different pins and different site housings and stuff. And I wanted to try the single pin, but the option of having that second pin right underneath, like you said, I think mine's 20 and 37 or 36. Yeah. It just kind of gives you a bit of a, you know, between there you can pin gap. Yeah, too, right? I'm not going to dial. I'm not going to dial 30. You know what I'm saying? Like, when it comes to my rifles, I'm probably going to catch some slack for some this, but like a minute of deer is good enough for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need, I need to hit long. and an 8-inch bubble. I'm looking to pop I'm going to pin gap a 30 yard shot if I got my pin set to 20 and 37. Yeah. And I mean, like pin, like with what I've been running, like I've run pin gap 20, 40, 60 on a three pin site before. And it's really not that bad. I just really prefer more site picture myself. Like, yeah, you can like this then. If you're in the site picture, this definitely yeah. opens up. Yeah. And do you want, you're right. 
you'll see like the mannerisms, like that deer is feeding, or if he gets, you know, you know, his ears are twitching back towards you, so he hears something. Uh, mm -hmm. More likely to see it, let's say if he's, if he's broadside and to the right, you're shooting the right hand bow, you're not going to see Jack if you got a bunch of pins floating in the right side of your, your housing, right? So, like you said, mm -hmm. that's uh, if that weighs in, of course, you really like these, these single pins. The black gold makes a nice one too, a um, little bit less weight if you're, if you're one of these ultra light guys. Yeah, I said he is built like a tank. You know, it's tried and true. It's a lot of metal. Yeah, it's pretty heavy, eh? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, Cam he he's on. Um, yeah, he shoots the FMJ, and that guy's a fan of metal, obviously. So yeah, yeah it's built like a tank. It'll last. It's good. It, I mean, I got a buck with it this year. Um, shot the oilman's this year for the first time. Never doing a three D course, and it was really nice with three D. Nice. How was uh, Oilman's there? I heard a lot of really good things about it. Like how the course was. Like you, I heard the course was really, really good. Like lots of cool 3D shots there. Yeah, the course was great. You know, there's some there's some challenging shots. Like they had mosquitoes that I think they labeled it two yards. Um, but if you stood in that shooter's box, you're probably less than a yard in reality. So like you know, standing back in the back of that box and trying to make a shot that close, and you know. Two of the guys that we were, or one of the guys and one of the girls that we were with, were using magnifiers. So I can only imagine how tough a two-yard shot would be with like a six-time magnifier. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> but man, those magnifiers—that's like cheating. That's one thing I don't like about my sight. Um, to circle back to that again, um, mm -hmm. because my sight is a slider, um, I couldn't go into the hunter's class. Um, now I'm running like a eight-inch stabilizer. Um, fast eddy i'm using like one of those true fire smoke releases i'm using micro diameter arrows like complete hunting setup like my my setup is not target whatsoever um mm -hmm. but i had to go up against the you know i was scoring against not that i was going against but i was scoring against the guys that had the, the long staves and and the, the magnifiers target and that's all just because all because you were running a single pin slider that takes yeah. you right out of that Class. yeah exactly as soon as you can slide which you know oh. um i think i think that's just the oilman's in particular like i think the asa rule rule book was updated in the last couple of years that hunting class can have a slider no magnifier um okay yeah so i think like if you're doing the asa tour or something i think you'd be you'd be fine but for the oilman's specific because i had a slider i mean i could i could have entered the hunter if i didn't touch my slider so, oh, you know, like, so I if you just to... left it at you're taking yeah. 60 to 80 yard shots that with a 37 yard pin, yeah. So, I didn't give too, you know, I wasn't going to be anywhere near the top in either class, so I didn't really care. I was just having, I was just there for fun for sure. Are you going to the hog and shoot at the end of the month? Uh, yeah, I'd like to. Um, maybe we'll see, we'll see how it goes with the. With the baby, the home thinking. situation, you know, yeah, yeah, man. I'm, I'm gonna try to get it though, 100%. Yeah, yeah, I missed oilmans, and then you know, I all of a sudden everyone was all talking about it, and I was like, man, I freaking wish they went this year. And now it's like, yeah, I'm trying to get into hot. Well, I'm signed up and registered to go out there and yeah, just get to make some faces to all the conversations and everything. And yeah, if you oh. make it, it'd be sweet to sweet to meet you there, man. It'd be cool, yeah, that'd be wicked. And yeah, Corey. There, he's a great guy. I got to, I ran into him at the oil and had a conversation with him. And 
I think they got some big things planned for this year, so I don't think you're going to be disappointed, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I'm stoked. I wish I could go for the whole weekend, but same thing with the uh, family situation. I could probably just be a, a good boy and just go for the one day. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Take what you can get. Take what you can get. And I'm trying to take them with me, too. I'm trying to oh, have cool. them come in as, like, archers, guests or whatever, but it would be awesome to just bring my wife and my son with me just so he can see. Like, he just think everything's cool right now you show them anything right now it's like well that's cool so yeah, awesome yeah. great time to get into it 100%. yeah exactly so you bet. but yeah no that's cool man i definitely it's good input to know with that slider it's something that yeah i think you mentioned their like campaigns runs one i know that's like there was that uh, Remy Warren rig was like the 33 inch matthews with the fast eddy and everything and, and it's funny because yeah it seems like the the hunting world picks and chooses what it wants to adopt from the like ASA and the target shooting world and everything, you know, like maybe we're not going to adopt the three foot stabilizer, four foot stabilizer or whatever, you know, but yeah, I mean, the backfire is getting popular with guys and starting to now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'll dabble that far into it. But like you mentioned, it, it, it's so tough because you have to try these things. And unfortunately, sometimes the only way to try them is to buy them. Yeah, and those sites aren't cheap, man. You're you're dropping a oh. couple bills for those, which is the problem, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, but I think that was something that Adrian mentioned too. Like even with the back tension release, and I mean, my buddy was mentioning that too with uh, one of his thumb releases. It's like drops the coin, buys it, ends up hating it for like the first two months, and then gets used to shooting it, and then absolutely loves it. So it's like you, you not only have to get used to it, and then like retune your bow a bit to like the changes that you made and everything to like. It takes time to really know if you like it on your setup too. Like it's, it's weird. Yeah. It's such I tried. A I tried one of those thumb button. I think is what they're called releases. And yep. uh, you know, I've been running the old trigger finger. I've been trying to be responsible with it. Yeah, trigger finger with responsibility is key. You can't go slamming that finger. You know, like everybody yeah. wants to. I got it set up in such a way that I can basically lay my index finger on it open up my hand, all the fingers are loosey-goosey, hanging out the side, and I can pull through my back um, mm-hmm. and, and get that surprise shot. It takes, it's it's a big mental game to do that. It's And I think that's the archery in general. To get a surprise shot is such a mental loop. It is, um, yeah. You know, uh, I just think those tension releases and stuff, um, the tension for sure can be more of a shock. But the hinge and the thumb button, there's still guys punching those. I mean, a hinge, you just got to rotate the back, you know, your pinky finger, rotate it backwards, and it's going to go off. I mean, you're you're triggering, triggering that arrow to release. That thumb button, mm-hmm. you squeeze your, squeeze your thumb, and it's gone. So, I mean, if you're going to be a puncher, you're going to be a puncher. And, I mean, some guys, you know, you're, a lot of guys are successful punching, too. Uh, mm-hmm. It's hard to knock it if it works. You know, that's kind of where I'm at. The uh, I haven't had no trouble with it, but when I tried that thumb button, it changed my anchor point altogether. So I, so it's like, how do I know if I like this? I got to move my peep. You know, everything's got to be shifted slightly for me to figure out if I like this thumb button because I can't put my knuckle behind my ear anymore. I can't get my can't get my good anchor. So like, I'm already missing half of my stability just yeah. to try to just to try to use this thumb. So in my opinion, it wasn't worth the change for me. I, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a target archer. Um, I've hunted three years with a bow. 
my first like I skunked obviously, but mm-hmm. the last two I was successful. Uh, I think we're, we're we're splitting sea hairs at that point, worrying about what release you're using. As long as you're familiar with your equipment, and you got uh, you got some yeah. trust in it, you're good. I think that's a really good way to put it too, for sure. And it, I think it's overwhelming for guys too, right? There's so many options. There's so many personal preferences. There's so much technology out there. There's so many new products, old products, tried and true product. Like it's like when you get into anything, but archery for sure. It's it's such a crazy mechanism how a compound bow works in general. That yeah. And one thing I wanted to add was just um, even like practice. Um, I don't know, not like formations, there's a better word for it, but different things you do while you practice. Like for myself, um, like when you're talking about like that surprise shot going off and everything, I think a big thing that I do, and with the gap shooting, like I'll take one range with a range finder and then I'll start just like throwing arrows randomly around the field that I'm at, like at the farm. And then I'll just start taking like guest guest ranges from all of those. Like I won't pull out the range finder again. I'll just know like, okay, that was my range there. And then everything else is just like, because sometimes yeah, you don't have the time to pull out your range finder when you're in a hunting situation. So that's something, I don't know if everybody does, but I really like doing is like tossing arrows around uh, and then just trying to pretty much guess where I'm shooting from and then do a group from there. Um, but then oh, when you're talking- yeah, it's just something to switch things up. Like I like shooting from the tree stand and stuff too, and just trying different things just to get into that real life situation or whatever. Or like, you know, do a lap, go, go for a run and then be totally out of breath and try and take a shot or something. I know there's lots of guys that do that just to try to simulate some form of adrenaline that's still not enough. But <laughs> And then uh, I think the other one was, no, it's the whole reason I got onto this was something to do with, oh yeah, when you were mentioning the... Um, like surprising shot, right? Like it's it's such a mental game to get that surprise. And what I found when I was punching the trigger, when I was first learning, I was, as soon as that pin was where I wanted on the target, I punched the trigger. Like it, it was like, that needs to go now, right? Yeah. Um, instead of relaxing. So what I started to do is I started to um, like give it three or four times where that pin would hover and then naturally because like no matter how level your bow is and everything like we will never stand still as people like we will always be breathing and doing things and we'll never stand still right so it's like i'll always let my pin hover over the center more than one time and i'm sure a lot of people do that but i just to totally get rid of that wanting to punch the trigger i like remove that option from me where it's like still not going to let it happen but there's a fine line right there's a fine line between that and then i also like to do where you're drawn back and you do, you know, like those situations in hunting where uh, you could be drawn back on an animal for maybe three, four minutes until that perfect shot shows itself or something, but you don't want to let down and make noise either. So you're sitting there at full draw for, so it's like another thing I like to practice is just like, how long can I sit at full draw until I'm like, I need to take this shot. Cause I'm going to freaking my arms will just give out, you know? That's a great uh, idea. Absolutely. Shooting from yeah. the knees, seated position. All kinds yeah. Of do. You know, and a lot of guys, you know, that's wind. It's too windy. Well, you're gonna, you know, if, if you've got a young child at home like yourself and I, yeah. and and your wife gives you a green light to go hunting, are you gonna look outside and be like, ah, it's twenty kilometer wind? No, you're going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so you better be practicing in in gusty conditions and stuff. You know, like 
I don't know. I think practicing is practicing is, is a huge part in archery. I mean, if you don't use it, you lose it. That's the truest thing that comes to archery. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a, such a good way to put it. I like that because you know, there's not really fair weather hunting. Like you could maybe be a fair weather fisherman or fair fair weather golfer or whatever, but you only get so many days to hunt, and you got to really make it happen, right? So it's like, and like you said, if you get the re- green light to go out one day, yeah, you, no matter if it's spitting rain a little bit or the conditions aren't perfect, there's always the chance. So it's, you're out there doing it. So yeah, you should be practicing like that too. It's a good point. Especially, yeah, hundred percent. If you if you need meat too, I mean, you're around the golf. I mean, that's that's one thing. But yeah, my, free, my freezer getting a little getting a little thin. I'm gonna be yeah, I'm gonna be itching to get out for sure. I want to just add that. This has come up in my head in many conversations, but and it's a total steal from the old Stephen Ranella and Meat Eater stuff. But there's one episode that I'm sure you've seen where he goes up with his brother into Alaska, um, and they're on like a 10 day sheep hunt or something like that. And on the last day, they finally find a legal ram, and they're like basically chasing it through some like gullies and everything there. And uh, they get up onto like this spine of a mountain and they realize like, yeah, their, their plane's going to come in in like three hours or something like that. And they're not going to have the opportunity to even proceed any farther chasing this ram. So they like basically call it quits after, you know, 10 days. Long story short of someone totally different story that's on TV. You can go and watch, but <laughs> it's like, it's just funny because at the end of it, he mentions golfing and I just love it so much because he's like, you know, he's like, even if you go out and play like a round of golf, he's like, even if you suck at it and it was a bad game, he's like, you still achieved golfing. Like you still went and golfed. And it's yeah. so funny because there's so many things like that in life that like, even if you went out and sucked at it, you still were golfing. With like hunting, it's like, you just basically ran around the hills for like 10 days. You, know? <laughs> like, you didn't really hunt at all. You yeah, just yeah, you hurt. Yeah, hurt. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, no yeah, shit. That's, yeah, I don't remember him saying that, but yeah, I can see him saying that. I know on the podcast he talks about golfers quite a bit. It's just such a funny thing because it's really. I enjoy going out for a round and stuff like that. I'll never get good at it myself, but I think that's partially why I love those quotes from him so much because it's like, yeah, it's so true. And there's so many things about it. It's such a funny. I love like it. comparison or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But uh, you mentioned that you had a, a story or something that you wanted to share there. Oh, for sure. I got stories for sure. Oh. Um, I got one for, yeah, do you want both of them? Have a level of suck to them. Uh, one involving a rifle, one involving uh, archery equipment. Honestly, um, I would say fire off both if you want. Like, that's, if they're both stories that you'd love to share, I'd love to hear them and I'd love to them out there there's no sure uh we'll start with the rifle i guess that was the so that uh that ducks unlimited land circle back yeah. to that uh that was 2019 um november 23rd in specific um went out to you know a string of quarter sections owned by ducks unlimited and uh alberta conservation association uh well before sunrise this is like you know the uh the the breaking point of, Hey, I'm done truck hunting. I want to do it. I want to do it like what I see on TV. I want to do it like that. Yeah. Um, you know, we, uh, I went in with my wife's uncle. Um, I found like this hillside that was kind of looking over like a really wide draw. 
eight, 900 yards across for sure. Uh, still pitch black. Uh, had an amazing sunrise. So I kind of just like plopped my ass down. I had my rubber boots on. It was like a, a real wet day. It snowed the night before. It kind of stayed above zero. So a lot of the snow was melted. So, you know, your, your shins, everything knee down, walking through the bush, you're getting wet. This is kind of like, kind of like grazing kind of uh, land. Uh, there's probably cattle in there all summer, <clears throat> leased out, if you will. So I just kind of found a, a decent spot to, to lay the pack down and just kind of take it all in, you know, kind of my first big game sunrise, if you will. And uh, nice. yeah, it was absolutely gorgeous. You know, the, the, the birds are flying overhead. You hear the wings going. It's just, it was awesome. But it didn't take long. Um, this particular area, lots of hunters. Um, some dude came up the middle of the drive, you know, 450 yards away wearing uh, snow camouflage so like you know that white with the broken with the twigs and leaves and stuff so he started stood it like a sore thumb i mean he probably had a good idea it snowed the night before but didn't stick around so he stood it was just a white blob walking there it's pretty funny uh you know and i was kind of thinking you know okay well that probably that kind of shags up this whole draw that i'm watching he's just kind of walking up the middle of it yeah so i was like well i'm gonna I'm just gonna hang out here and just took out my old binoculars and these little crappy pair of bush nails I had at the time, gifted to me at you know uh, some Christmas. And uh, actually picked up Desiree's uncle out on the hillside and was like, "Oh crap, he's only a couple hundred, you know, a couple thousand yards away, twelve hundred yards." And this hunter that was underneath me at this point is he's made it across the draw, so he's going up the hill to my right to the north. And I can hear all this crashing. And, you know, first time really experiencing deer busting it on me. I you know, kind of turned up, looked up the hill. And, uh, you know, it, it was a, a deer. I was like, oh, crap. Okay. Um, I turned around, put up the binoculars, looked at it. And one thing that Desiree's uncle taught me was uh, a good buck is going to be past his ears. So if he... If he's got his ears on you and his antlers go past that, it's a shooter. You know, it's good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just before this, I, I took my cow moose. And uh, after that, I had, you know, piles of meat at that point. I think that was my first draw I ever did too. Uh, special license. Um, I had an opportunity to sell my gun. And I'm a bit of, I'm an equipment nerd. So I, opportunity to sell, buy something else, try something else. It's kind of what I wanted to do. And I had the, uh, I was given the option to use one of Desiree's uncle's guns. It was a uh, Browning gold medal medallion in 270 Winchester short mag. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with those guns or not. Yes. Yeah, they're beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous, right? You got this nice finished stock and all the engravings and stuff. So you kind of feel weird carrying around the bush and don't want to scratch no it. Or whatever, but... Yeah. <laughs> Big problem was it was a left-hander. I'm a right-handed oh, shooter. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I pull up my binoculars. I see that he's past his ears. And I'm like, dang, that's a decent buck. He's standing straight on me. He's alert. I think that snow camo hunter, I think he pushed it out. Um, the buck didn't seem to be too concerned about me. I'm I'm kind of like sitting on my butt. Uh, I'm low to the ground. I'm underneath him. He's got he's got the, the advantage up high on the hill, if you will. And so I got time. I rack one into this left-hander and 
I'm looking at him. He just kind of he, he looks kind of more concerned c- concerned about what's going on to the left of him on off those does. I didn't honestly. It happened so fast. I don't know what he was up to, but he turned and gave me like a bit of a broadside shot. Uh, so I let it go. This this gun I've never fired before. I've never looked through the optic. I just sold my as a Seiko thirty out six. Just sold it. Um, and I thought I hit like I you know hundred meters maybe. Not a fire shot. It's a real flat shooting projectile. I felt like I was on him, uh, but he didn't really react. And I was like, what the heck? So I went to rack another one and I had this huge jam and, you know, in the heat of the moment, I'm stressing, I pop the hinge floor plate, dump all the shells, try to get that empty case out, close the hinge floor plate, hand feed in another one. By this time he is trotting off over top of the hill. And I said, okay, can't shoot. You know, he's, he's skylined, mm-hmm. but I noticed his back left leg was kind of wheeling weird, you know, didn't seem right. So I was like, shit. I don't, sorry, swearing. Uh, I don't, (laughs) I don't know if I hit him or not, but he's definitely injured. You know, I wasn't sure if like, yeah, I wasn't sure if he, you know, I don't know, had an injury from before, someone else shot him. And I, you know, I barely seen him move from the moment I turned around. He was already kind of standing there. Um, So I wasn't sure if somebody else shot him or if I shot him, if I hit him. So that was kind of, it was a weird one. So I got Jimmy on the radio and I said, hey, uh, I, I shot. He's like, yeah, I heard it. It sounded like a hit. Um, I was like, okay, very good. And he said, yeah, just sit put, stay put. Don't move. Just stay where you're at. Gather your thoughts. I'm going to still hunt my way across this valley. So he's 1,200 meters away. Uh, I'm watching his little orange vest make its way across this this draw. And he's just kind of slowly making his way across in case there's another buck or something, an opportunity for him to fill a tag. And once we arrived, uh, you know, I, I did my best to shake my nerves and kind of explain my encounter with this, what I would call wide frame buck to him. So I take him to where the shot happened, and you know, kind of looking around. He said, no, we're, we're going to back off for a bit. So, you know, hour or so passed by that time. And Jimmy bumped the buck on the north side of this finger that he just went over. Um, huge uh, puddle of blood. He bedded up. Um, that hour wasn't long enough. So, uh, yeah, so like the north side of this finger, the sun hasn't hit it yet, so there's still some snow. So luckily we were able to do a little bit of blood tracking that way. Um, you know, that's kind of when it dawned over that, yeah, I probably injured this animal. It's now suffering because of my decisions and lack of preparation with my equipment. So that was kind of a pivotal moment for myself where, you know, I, I pay a lot of attention to my equipment now. I know what I'm doing. I know what it's capable of and yeah. I can no, no longer rely on you know, it's all on me. If something happens, it's my fault. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, just an absolute, op, absolutely awful feeling that I'm sure a lot of us are aware of. Some of us may have been fortunate enough never to make a bad shot on an animal, but uh, yeah, not that was my first taste of it, you know. So we busted out the flagging tape and we marked his bed. And in just case the snow melted and it rained, who knows, you know, just a good idea yeah. just to mark the bed. Um, caveat, always go back and pick up your flagging tape. Don't leave it out in the bush. Um, so I went east about 500 meters and then cut north, try to see if I could get ahead of them kind of thing. Uh, and Jimmy kind of just followed the blood trail real nice and slow, watching, washing through the, the branches kind of thing. And I circled this big slew bottom and uh, 
seen some blood. And I was like, dang, okay, so I need to tell Jimmy, hey, do you want, I, I cut blood. He's no longer, he's, he's between, he's no longer between you and I. Like, you can just cut your distance. And before I could even say that, I looked over my left shoulder and there he was. Uh, mouth open, big time struggling, trying to get away from me. You know, um, so I, I put another one in his chest just to, uh, to finish off the job. Yeah. Came full circle, you know, harvested the deer, but yeah, it's just one of those, it was kind of that pivotal moment where, you know, you, you injure something and, and you, you got it suffering because of your, your lack of, of knowledge on your equipment and things that were completely in my control. And, uh, you know, animals deserve better than that. So from that point forward, I really focused on making sure that, you know, I was familiar with my equipment and knew what I was doing. Really, yeah, man. I really appreciate you sharing that particular story too, because like, like you said, I really like when you say, uh, you know, some people maybe are fortunate enough that they've never made a, you know, a shot that something like that's happened. Um, as someone that's like, yeah, missed something, yeah, had, you know, some pretty close to the same story. It's like, you know, you hear a lot of guys talking about that, like that feeling and, you know, how it dictates how you, you know, kind of, for lack of better terms, like nerd out on gear now. It's like, you're not necessarily doing that just because of the OCD obsession. Like that's part of it is it's super fun to like nerd out on gear. I love doing it. But it's also for the animal's sake and situational sake, you know, in those exact moments. And I think it's crazy because I heard so many people tell a story like that. Not so like, you know, tell a similar story like of wounding and feeling terrible or and not maybe not similar. They didn't find the animal or whatever. And it, it's like you never get that feeling until it happens to you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like when you're describing how you know, like, thank goodness, like you say, you found that deer because hell, man, going home with that feeling, trying to sleep at night, it's a hell of a feeling, you know, it's like, and yeah. I'm sure, I mean, it's different because like, especially for yourself, like you're like, hey, opposite handed rifle, someone else is going, you know, it's from what it sounds like, it sounds like you still hit an artery on the first shot and the thing was bleeding out. If it bedded down, like it's, it's hurting. It's not bedding down because it's tired, you know, well, it's tired, but you know, for other reasons, you know, that yeah, the shot. Yeah, yeah the, the shot. So he was, in retrospect, he was kind of quartering. He was quartering too pretty hard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just kind of buck fever, I guess. I thought he was more broadside than he was, but I snuck that bullet above his guts, under his spine, and blew up his pelvis. It smacked into his pelvis. Dang. Yeah, yeah, it was like zero, zero gut shot, which is awesome. That's uh, good, yeah. Did a lot of damage to those tender ones. It didn't smack the spine, so it didn't drop him in the spot. And yeah, I just blew up his pelvis, which you know that's uh, when it, you know when I hung him up in the closet and took a look, I was like, dang, this thing. It just really makes you appreciate for how tough these animals are, man. Like, I guarantee you, shoot anybody with a a twenty-two in the hip, they're not they're not going a couple hundred yards. You know what I'm saying? Like, no doubt. And he was still trying to get away from me when I when I uh, when I caught up to him. You know, an hour or two later. He was still trying, you know, it's just, it's amazing. But yeah, 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 it's, so yeah it was my first decent buck. It's it like a really wide five, five by five. I think he's 22 or 24 inches inside spread. So he's way past his ears. Really typical. I think when I put a rough measure on him, he's, I think he's got like one inch of, of deductible 
plenty of Boone and Crockett's for them. So it's very little difference from left to right kind of thing. And Wow. Yeah. I mean, that was my first good buck and it was my first real experience. I'm like, all right, we got to dial in our stuff and before November yeah. we got to know what we're doing here. So did you, is that the one that you have, um, like full shoulder mounted? No, no, that's, that's my 2020 buck actually. Uh, the one that's, I did this one. That was actually my first Euro I ever did too. So this buck, I cut the head off and, uh, and did all the, the knife work and the pressure washing and, and air quotes boiling, degreasing and cleaning myself with some bleach and uh and my, i think my wife actually took some paint to it painted it up nice and white and it's actually above our master bedroom our master bed in our bedroom there nice she, she did a nice you know interior design job and just put that white skull against the black wall and it looks real nice but nice yeah real you know if you if you asked a five-year-old to draw you a picture of a white-tail buck he's going to draw this buck it's just a classic five by five that's sick. And yeah, just a real classic buck. A great representation of the animal. Big time. Big time. Could be, yeah, absolutely. If you see in the museum, you'd be like, all right, that's a nice porcelain representation right there. That's cool, man. That's so yeah. sick. Yeah. The shoulder mount was my 2020 buck. He was, yeah, he was quite the story. Yeah. Is that the second story that you wanted to say, give? Or was no, it... no, not really. But I, it's, what, I, I shouldn't say it's quite the story. I say it's not much of a story. It's kind of just uh, stumbled across them and just got shot at me, which is kind of one of those. Yeah, no, not at all, actually. No, yeah, he's, he's nice, though. He's my, he was my first, like, shoulder mount worthy buck, in my opinion. Yeah. So I, I I probably wouldn't shoulder mount anything under 150, and I wanted to do my first 150 and all that. 150 class. He's got a bunch of junk and he's like a seven by six or something like he's got weird shit coming off his bases yeah he's cool yeah he's cool. That's super cool that was my so first like... long range shot i guess i guess i could tell you i had 250 yards on that one which i would call nice. long range hunting you know me too are, some of these guys are reaching it way further but that was a six and a half prc the year it came out oh wow got, got the browning x-bolt hell's canyon I was real proud Ooh, of that rifle. Yeah, that's a nice, nice. That's nice. a nice rifle too, man. Those six, nice. It was like six and a half PRC came out in January. I found one in like March at Calgary Shooting Center. It was a Hell's Canyon long range, six and a half yeah. PRC. And I was buying up ammo left, right, and center. It was like $48 a box locally. And nowadays Great. I think it's like $78 a box. Yeah. Yeah. Another Some rifle that I sold and switched up for something else, you know, just... Sucker for punishment, this guy over here. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. You betcha. So, what was the the second one then? Maybe second maybe. second story would be um, the one that you know I kind of thought of for this. Uh, it's another one of those gut wrenching stories. It's my only other one. I was actually November <laughs> past with my archery equipment. So this previous season. Yes, yes sir. November there. It was okay. my 2022 archery whitetail. Um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have some permission on some land not too far from home. Uh, the The landowner request uh, was archery only. I mean, legally, I could use a rifle on his property. Uh, mm -hmm. 
ethically, he doesn't want rifles going off on his property. So he's okay with me archery hunting, which, you know, as someone getting into archery and big time into it, love it. Uh, I'm damn okay with having a piece of property I can only archery hunt on, you know? Absolutely. So I actually got my first buck on this piece of land as well. Uh, that's that YouTube video uh, that I got off of, of that one. Um, and I was just looking to repeat it again in 2022. Um, leading up to archery season uh, last year, um, had a lot of spare time. Uh, you know, did a lot of truck scouting. Took the dog, and took my Vortex glass, and went and checked out the the neighboring properties and his property, and see what's going on. And actually, didn't see a whole lot leading up to this. So I was kind of, dang, this is this going to be my first year eating a uh, whitetail tag. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I've been successful taking a whitetail buck every year I've hunted, so I, I don't want to. I don't want to break that anytime soon, kind of thing. Yeah, but I did. I did draw a mule deer doe tag last year, and I wanted to, you know, fill the freezer. And you know, typical, typical reason to get out hunting. And um, I took this Ruger American 308. I got it's like a, it's more of a range rifle, but uh, I got. The, Got it scoped up and it's real accurate, you know, like five eighths inch groups at 100 meters, 112 yards. Nice. Um, yeah, absolutely. Using these factory Hornady Outfitter uh, bullets, They're, they got this new monolithic all copper bullet CX. Oh, yeah. Name of it. Wanted to try that out, so I want to see how it performed on game. I uh, think I'll load these CXs in my 300 Weatherby, which I would typically use for hunting rifle. Um, but yeah, no, I want to try it out. So I, I, I managed to do that, filled the freezer, and now I could focus on my whitetail buck with the archery equipment, right? So I, with meat no longer being a worry, it's like, all right, let's find a buck on this property. I want to I want to get another skull for the wall and, and more meat to add to the freezer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, using that Matthews VX3, V3X, sorry, um, I shot all summer long. I was shooting that thing. Not far from the house, there was a gravel pit. I would just go out there, throw a target, and just... 20 30 40 50 60 70 80 yards being a couple buddies my buddy jonah he would come out a lot uh so i was shooting getting getting dialed in uh, did a did a, did a little bit of mule deer hunting out east leading up to this kind of practice uh, getting ready for this november the rut i like to hunt the white tails in the rut um yeah using uh, victory vap elites um, yeah, 350 spine, 125 grain toothy arrow broadheads. You know, they fly real good. I mean, Cam's got me tuned up on that bow, so it worked out real well. And nice. come November, I had that mule deer in the freezer. The landowner sent me a tag. He said, hey, I got a couple bucks crews in my yard. They're here. I said, all right, dang, let's do this. So the next weekend, I think it was a Sunday. For some reason, I couldn't hunt that Saturday. I was on call, too, to boot. But I went out on the Sunday, and... uh you know, before, before sunrise, uh, the night before he was telling me about this tree house he was building just north of his place, just about a hundred yards into the bush. And he said, yeah, go ahead. The, the bucks are cruising through that trail to that tree house and you can use it as a tree stand if you want. And I was like, I'm game. I haven't seen any bucks. I haven't set up any ground lines. I have no leads other than the, the landowner saying he's seen some. And, uh, you know, God only knows it could be forks, it could be monsters who knows i don't know what to expect but these bucks are using this trail so i uh yeah i geared up 
went in there before the the sun rose that that following Sunday, and uh, or Sunday, sorry, and about an hour before sunrise, uh, enter his driveway, grab my gear, quietly shut the truck doors, and it was very obvious the deer were using that trail. There was a pile of tracks and a couple of rubs. Um, there's an old aluminum ladder sitting next to this will be tree stand eventually, or uh, sorry, a tree house. And so I kind of set that up as quiet as I could and used a rope to kind of get all my gear up there. And still dark, I kind of sized up my new hunting stand, if you will. It had like a walled porch, probably no long, no deeper than 36 inches into like an op- eight, eight by eight open area. Uh, the floor was, had a fresh coat of snow uh, as the roof hasn't been finished. Uh, the snow sandwiched between my boots and this OSB and it was very noisy. So I had to take my, I had to pick and make a decision. I had three windows and the entryway to pick from because um, changing positions was just not going to happen. So I chose the entryway, uh, despite it being quite the funnel for the cold wind coming from the east that day. Um, it had the largest selection of shooting windows. So I said, all right, shooting lanes, let's, let's sit here and, and, and enjoy the suffer. So I just kind of stood still and I listened and, you know, the, the wind was just blowing through the trees. It wasn't too bad down in the trees. Like it was just a breeze, if you will. Uh, but the tops of the trees were going and then I heard steps coming through. It's still way too dark to shoot, <clears throat> but I could hear something crunching through the snow uh, just off the trail. Uh, it was a deer for sure. And it definitely had antlers. Uh, it was too dim for me to know the caliber of the bug. But it was cruising perpendicular to the trail and just as quick as he came into my life he exited so you know kind of just like dang i wonder if that was my only opportunity today you know um when it really wasn't even an opportunity because it's still too way too dark um, another 15 20 minutes passed and i could uh, i could hear some commotion uh, from where the puck had gone okay something's something's shaking over there uh and it was definitely white-tailed deer i could see him uh Pulled up the binos, uh, Vortex Vipers, 10 by 42s, just the classics. I like to wear those when I'm bow hunting, just not too much zoom, mm-hmm. enough to, to see what's going on. And they're definitely those. So um, at this point, legal shooting is here. I watched these four does uh, come in probably 10 yards from, from where I'm standing. Eventually, all just kind of piling up right in front of my stand. I stood still and thought to myself, there's no way. A buck isn't going to come to check on one of these does at some point. <laughs> and honestly, as soon as those thoughts left my head, I could hear grunting. First time I ever heard a whitetail grunt. That's sick. Yeah, it's the first time I heard it, and I knew exactly what it was. I was like, dang, that's that noise all those guys make when they blow into that tube on TV. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was wicked, too. It was just great. And then I could hear some stomping. And the does were kind of staring. You know, I'm probably 12, 14 feet up. They're staring under me through the trees that the the, the the tree house is in so i'm like standing so still they're 10 yards out and uh i started kind of being a little more alert someone kind of dancing around a bit and i could hear the grunting i knew he was coming so i seen him in my left peripheral i drew straight back i just seen antler and i was like well that's that's more antler than i got last year with my bow <laughs> so i drew straight back i'm steadied i released it happened all so fast he turned and I torqued. It was a bad shot. Basically facing away from me. Practically a Texas heart shot. 
No way. Yeah. A, yeah. Just to briefly interrupt, that is the funniest way to describe a shot to the app, the Texas yeah. shot. Yeah, it's a bad one. The first time I ever heard that, I laughed so hard. And just so people are clear out what a Texas shot is, that's a <laughs> hilarious way to put it. Yeah, it's uh, but anyway, there's not a whole lot of resistance going through the heart that direction. But it's not the direction you want to go. It's funny until you do it, and then you're like, "Dang, yes. <laughs> I don't want that." I, if I could take it all back, I would. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. You know, I, I torqued that bow. It was a bad shot. I just, yeah. it was a you know buck fever. He he turned. He was broadside. I wasn't even thinking about shooting a non broadside animal. Like he was probably he was courting away a little bit, but he definitely like pulled a couple degrees on me before I could release and. And then my mm-hmm. shot was just bad altogether. So, yeah, they're funny. They're funny, all right. But, you know, I so I shot instantly knew, like, crap. Well, but I'm so for the pun. Uh, yeah, he, you know, I could see my lighted knock just go into his right rump. And uh, he let out a real guttural roar. It was like, Brr. like you would if you got, if you got shot in the butt with, a, with an arrow, you'd probably make some noise too, you know. And he just, he didn't like, spook but he just kind of like trotted towards where the does were and just out of sight toward the landowner's house i was like crap my stomach just sank and my mind started racing it felt like yeah. a long time had passed but likely seconds and i could see my red knock through those snow-covered aspen branches he didn't go far no way no so i took out my phone and i sent the landowner text i said i shot a buck I shot a buck it wasn't a good shot and he may be near your home <laughs> and uh he uh, a few seconds passed and he texted me he said yeah he's in my yard laying down still alive i was like dang okay this this is great right the landowner's gonna love me oh man. <laughs> so i didn't climb down the little rickety ladder and bump him so i in my in the in the moment logic was to just kind of stand here and hopefully he bleeds out kind of thing i you know, I had a GoPro uh, mounted to my stabilizer, and I got it all on film. Uh, we'll come back to that. So I was I was playing it back, and I was watching it. And I was like, "Dang, I got a lot of penetration here. Like, you know, maybe maybe it's not going to look like a porcupine running across the next highway, and giving all the archers a bad name." Here we go. You know. Yeah. I was using these tooth of the arrow broadheads. I bought the sharpener sharpen the crap out of them. I knew they were sharp and you know, I had a lot of trust in my equipment. I learned from my from my 2019 experience with that rifle, you know, to know what I'm doing, try to do the best I can, at least not be able to blame the equipment, you know. So I waited for that hour. I played back the footage on that GoPro and I could see like I definitely got most of the arrow worth of penetration. So I, I had the clip liver or lung or something I kept telling myself. The time passed and I climbed down the ladder very slow, went up the path until I could see my lighted knock. I drew back a fresh arrow out of my quiver and sunk another arrow into his chest cavity. No movement. He was dead under an hour. Thank goodness. So yeah, he, he bled out pretty quick. When I got up to him, I, I started checking it out and you know, right in through the right rump, through the guts. Uh, when I flipped him over, the arrow was sticking out. The arrow and broadhead was sticking out of his uh, chest cavity, just underneath his left arm, say the armpit area, three or four inches. Um, 
So I think if I didn't get all that penetration, you know, he probably wouldn't have bled out so quick. And, you know, I believe, a, you know, a well-constructed one-piece, sharp head, a well-tuned bow, yeah. a crap load of tinkering uh, got me all that penetration and it made my tracking job very short. And I don't know if you put a mechanical broadhead on, on that arrow in that same situation, if, if you'd be telling the same story, you know, I think you'd suffer a little bit longer. You wouldn't get all that penetration anyway. That's so, a wild amount of like, yeah. You know, that's almost a reverse pass through. Yeah, pretty much, man. It it sucked. My first one was a complete pass through and you know, broadside mm-hmm. double lungs ran 40 yards and died within minutes. But this one, yeah, it's uh, I'm not sure how long it took for him to expire, but uh, yeah, it was bad shot, bad feeling all over again. And uh, luckily, you know, luckily I just had sharp broadheads, um, a good arrow and and I managed to, you know, at least send that arrow through something that's going to kill it relatively quickly, even though it's the absolute worst shot. Nobody should ever think about taking one or, you know, hope that it happens to anybody. I absolutely Mm -hmm. would never wish it on my worst enemy to shoot an animal in the butt. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I pulled that arrow out the right direction. Uh, It stunk like you ran a finger through an ass crack. It was horrible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was horrible, but uh, yeah, you know, when I gutted them, Field dressed him, I guess. You know, the liver had a nice, uh, nice square taken out of it, and his left lung, the lower backside, had the arrow had traveled through and poked through the skin and off that, and it just kind of bled out. So it was good. It, was, it ended up being a decent situation. You know, it's one of those situations where it's like it's real bad, but in the end, it, it turns out just fine. I lost a little bit of rump meat, and that's about it. Really? So even with the gut shot, it wasn't too bad? You didn't lose much meat? You know what? That's one thing I was... I've seen a couple gut shots. I haven't had many gut shots. Like, I had that mm-hmm. one bad shot that just went over the guts. I'd call mm-hmm. it a gut shot, but it didn't really hit guts. I've seen some, and when you open them up from a rifle, it's a hell of a lot different than when you shoot yeah. with a with a bow. There's, there's none of that hydrostatic static effect or whatever, I guess. So it, mm. yeah, it didn't... Uh, Seems like when you shoot them in the gut with a rifle, it kind of causes a lot of damage. It spreads stuff all over the place, but the arrow just kind of drags it through with it, you know? So I lost some rib meat, some rump meat, but that's about it. Wow. That's interesting for sure. Yeah. What a crazy story. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, I'm looking at the head right now with the arrow. Hang, uh, I pressure washed it. Yeah, I would assume as much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I cleaned the arrow. (laughs) I just got sitting, sitting in his antlers right now. On the oh. wall, I just hero mounted him. Mm-hmm. I think I taped him at 126. Wow. So he's just a little very know, nice buck. decent little 4x4 four four buck. Tall brown times. Yeah, he, uh, I felt bad for him. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, I also appreciate that story too. It just, it's nice to not just draw the ones like, you know, you briefly mentioned, oh yeah, you know, the first one, there's double lung pass through, full pass through, yeah, expired within minutes. Like, you know, it's, those are the stories I feel like everyone wants to share to boast that they're successful and capable of making a good shot, no problem, you know, but unfortunately it's not the reality all the time. And it's funny that, you know, those kind of emotions come with it too, because I think every hunter in the right mind is trying 
damn well to do things as quickly and cleanly and as ethically as possible. You know, nobody's out there planning to just go run willy nilly, take a shot at and hope for the best. You know, I mean, I'm sure maybe there's a couple of guys that don't really care and are just out doing whatever, but I'd say 99.9% of everybody is all of the same mentality to, yeah, have everything be as quick and clean as possible. But there's so many variables. Like there's so many variables between the equipment, between the weather, between that's an animal that's having its own reaction to things, you know, like for, for him to get that quick turn on you and cork the bow, like those are things that, you know, your target won't do when you practice, you know, like there's, yeah. Absolutely. And I feel like the people that are going to listen to this or, or, or may come across this may appreciate, you know, the, I'm not trying to be some type of, oh, look at me. I just got in the hunt and I'm out here just slaying, you know, yes. you know, there's, there's ups and downs. There's roller coaster emotions all within a couple hours with our hunting and, and things can change and it can happen to anybody. I mean, I, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to compare myself to anybody at all, but I spent a lot of time shooting targets and I spent Mm -hmm. a lot of time drawing that bow back and practicing and, taking my bow i think i took my bow four or five this v3x to cam three or four times just to get it absolutely dialed so like there's yeah. no you know i mean you can practice out the yin yang but nature is going to do nature you know and mm-hmm. and there's going to be mistakes and yeah it's just one of those things you know those those deer started those those started dancing a little bit maybe the one that may be coming in estrus that he's interested in he's grunting for is He's one of the ones that just danced off to the left and he just you know, got that whiff and did that quick turn all in the same time that, you know, I'm uh, trying my best not to slap my trigger, but, uh, or torque to my riser with mitts on, you know, it's minus 30. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah you know, it happens. It's, it's going to happen to some other guys. I'm not going to be the last, but uh, yeah. it's important to share those kind of, those roller coaster stories, you know, I mean, uh-huh. I think it, so when it does happen, it keeps people still realizing that, you know, every, like we're still human, you know, like it's, there's a lot of stories of absolute perfection and that's what all of us want to achieve. And when it doesn't go that way, those feelings can eat you apart for sure. So it's nice to at least know, you know, Hey, these things can happen. Don't call it quits yet. You know, like even when you walked over the, the hill for that first buck there and, uh, you know, we're still able to find him, even though he took out a good portion of the hip or whatever there, whereas pelvis, it's like, you know, you can't just watch him walk over that hill and go, well, I may as well go home because I missed or he's injured and this is going to be done. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. It's follow up on the work sucks sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just kind of embrace that suck and, and know that it can happen. It can happen to anybody. So. Mm-hmm. But what a cool experience, though, to witness that whitetail rut, you know, just to have them come in grunting and everything and this big pile of does just getting, yeah, it's, that's a sick thing to see in general. That's it's so absolutely cool. awesome. And all those does were in front of me for like 20 minutes and I couldn't, you know, you could barely breathe, it felt like. But then, you, know, you didn't want to scoop them. They're like the best. I mean, we're not allowed to bait in, in Alberta for, for big game other than yeah. black bear, you know, predators or whatever. But, I mean, what better bait? during the rut is like five or six does standing in front of you. It's like, well, perfect. It's middle yeah. of November, you know, November 23rd. Uh, yeah. One of these girls is letting off some scent that wants uh, a buck is not going to be able to resist and showing off, you know, mm-hmm. 
so yeah, no, it was, it was quite the experience, even though you're, you're frozen up there and shaking and wondering why you're doing this and you could just run over to Sobeys and grab, grab some meat for a hundred bucks. Call it a day. Yeah. yeah call it a day. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes those thoughts go through your head, you know, oh. while you're there and then it all comes full mm-hmm. circle. Here we are talking about it on a podcast, you know, meeting yourself and, and hearing all these other guys. I mean, there's, there's so much value to this, this hunting that we do. Yeah, man. It's uh, I don't know when you'd ever experience that, that rut like that and, and see that and, you know, get to experience, you know, ending life for the continuation of your own, like, you know, to take the meat for the sustenance and everything and be in that whole full circle of it. Like in society these days, there's, there's no other way you're going to, yeah get some of those experiences or some of those stories without being in the minus 30 in those situations that you are debating going to the grocery store or you're debating getting the hell, you know, it's, yeah, there's no way to sugarcoat it. Sure. You can, you can watch it on YouTube. You can, you can watch it, but you'll have no idea what that feeling's like. Like even how you describe, you know, like, you know, two, three seconds go by, but it feels like, an hour you know like it's like time changes in those moments you know it's crazy it is crazy you don't get that watching it on youtube although it's nice to see and it's sweet you know to share it and see it it's just some of that stuff you get such a small percentage of it from watching it and hearing it until you get out there and do it but absolutely and to speak to that i I tried to make i tried to make this a a video for for the youtube channel and um that night when i got home and uh, you know, the buck was in the truck or hanging in the garage at that point. Um, sat on the couch with the wife and I said, God, you want to see the shot? Like, you know, she, at this point, she's aware of how bad a shot it was and the yeah. emotional roller coaster that was. She's like, sure. So busted the GoPro and connected to the, to the phone and got a couple error messages. And the next thing, everything on my GoPro, the whole memory card just wiped, just lost everything. And I had like, you know, no way. yeah, absolutely. She gave it to me as a gift one year and, and I was so stoked to have it. And I got pictures from like, you know, when I first got it, I was taking pictures in the living room of the dogs and the Christmas tree and all, all those things and a couple trips and stuff and didn't back it up. And, you know, that's my own stupid fault again. But yeah, I lost this hunt. So that's why there was no video of, of that. I was so excited. I had the kill shot on camera. You know, everyone talks about, oh, you got to get the kill shot. No point in filming unless you get the kill shot. And I, I got mm-hmm. my own opinions on that, but I was excited to finally have one. And then, yeah, just, uh, yeah, computer errors, I guess, you know, it's just Caroline technology. No, man, that's 100% it. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, I don't want to jinx it, but I'm waiting for one of those days, like, big conversation happens like this, and then, yeah, you hang up the phone and it's not there. It stresses yeah. me out. <laughs> I, I went and bought one of those external hard drives. I'm just going to start yeah, man. up all my stuff. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So to touch back on the channel and everything there, I don't know if I feel like maybe you should have brought this up earlier, but I wanted to bring up that uh, giveaway that you're doing um, on your channel right now. So on your Instagram is Squires Outside, at Squires Outside, right? You you have a giveaway right now for two of the stealth trail cams. Those are coming with SD cards and batteries, right? You betcha, yeah. It's a two-pack of stealth camera, uh, stealth cams. Comes with the batteries, the memory cards, everything you need to get outside. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I rely heavily on trail cameras. And and there's a real fun aspect to it. You know, you kind of 
you set them and you kind of want to just go check them right away, but you know, you should wait a couple months. And when you do, you're just rewarded with all these pictures of these bucks and deer, yeah. and all the animals, whatever's going on on the properties. And it's just so much fun to, to go through, check the dates. And then, you know, after a couple of years, you get all this history and you can be like, okay, at this point, the buck velvet looked like this. And then you start comparing it and you say, Oh, you start getting excited for the next season. You know, it's kind of one of those things that kind of ties us over. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's great. Absolutely. But then it so, makes that connection, right? Because you start to see, then you see that buck in person and you're like, oh, sh- that's the one I've been taking pics of. For, you know, like, yeah, it's. Absolutely. And and I took my wife out shed hunting one year and she found a side-by-side side set of fresh mule deer antlers. And I got that deer on camera multiple times. So nice. she, so in our kitchen, we got a set of mule deer four by four antlers that she found her first ever sheds. And I also got pictures uh, saved on the computer of yeah that, that deer sporting those antlers. So you know, it's just Crazy. a lot of things you can do with it, right? There's a whole bunch yeah. of fun. So to enter that contest for those trail cameras on your Instagram page, you follow Squires Outdoor Outside, follow Squires Outside, like the reel, and comment tagging a friend in the comment section. And every other comment that you leave tagging someone new gets you another entry. You got it. Absolutely. And then you were saying with the podcast, you wanted to do a special entry too for anybody yeah, listening. Yeah, exactly. Let's reward your listeners for for following along over to Wildlife Stories and being part of the, the, the early start of your journey. I'd like to offer, offer all uh, your listeners uh, an extra entry if they just comment a emoji of a microphone. So if you comment an emoji of a microphone on that post, I'll pick up on it. I'll give you an extra entry. So an extra entry for yeah that might and that's so cool man thank you for doing that that's cool i would just love to see even if a couple people do it and they made it to the end of this and yeah wanted to share it. that's cool i was like when you're when we were talking in the stories there i was like i probably should have said it right around the beginning but it's nice even too i think at the end it's like a little reward too i think everyone's in it for the stories more than the than the bs and everything too you know but yeah it's nice to throw in there and give people that extra opportunity to win a set of nice cams and yeah that stuff ain't cheap you know it's freaking i entered it i'm not gonna lie you know what I mean? oh of course everybody <laughs> should yeah, yeah. Absolutely. so absolutely but, awesome. uh, what do you got going on for the future here with uh all the squires outside stuff are you trying to take a video of your 2023 season or you got any target box or something any special hunts on on the up on the upcoming yeah agenda? absolutely i i uh speaking of spending money uh i invested in a new tacticam have you are you familiar with those are they the cell cap or no this is another product they make uh it's a action camera same way a gopro is but it's actually zoomed in instead of like a wide angle so it's designed for sorry Oh, I was just gonna say, I feel like I've heard the name for sure. Yeah, they do make they do make cameras. Uh, the reveal Tacticam, study the camera is really popular here. A lot of guys like those too. Um, but they make these products for filming your hunts. Um, this one oh. in particular came with like a quivalizer mount, or sorry, not quivalizer, uh, a stabilizer mount. Uh, <laughs> I'm, obviously, I'm looking in the option <laughs> archery, right? I like their stuff, quivalizer. Um, (laughs) it comes with like a way to mount it to your stabilizer or you can mount it to like a a shotgun barrel or rifle or scope and and film your hunts it's zoomed in i think six times zoom so instead of like the wide angle with the gopro anything past like 20 30 yards it 
it's hard to pick it up on up on it if it's yeah if there's not a whole lot of contrast and colors yeah um so this is like a action camera more for shooting for shooting sports uh, that they make so i picked up one of those i'm going to try to film uh my 2023 uh whitetail i put in all nines i'm not doing any special license i'm focused on um that same property that i've taken my archery bucks on the nice. the, the owner is giving me permission to use a slug shotgun so um uh, another little bucket list quest i'm on is to take whitetail bucks with all legal means possible I did see you posting about that. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. So I got this Savage 220 slug gun. It's a rifled shotgun, bolt action shotgun. Uh, yeah. It shoots, it shoots Savit slugs, so Savit or Sabo, which you're fancy, I guess. It's like yeah. a plastic wrap around like a muzzleloader bullet. Um, so the plastic grabs the rifle and gives it a twist, makes it pretty accurate, you know, two or 300 yards maybe. Crazy. So I got that thing rigged up. I'm going to try to film that. Uh, I'm going to try to film that 100%. And yeah, no special license. Maybe I'll get out, out to do some general uh, general tag mule deer spot and stock with the bow. Try to film. I, I I got that camera on record everything I do when it comes to hunting and stuff. Cause it's all content. It's all things that some people wish they were doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if I could share that and encourage somebody else to get out, then that content is, is good and fun and, and has value in my book. So that's kind of my yeah. plan uh, for this year. It's just kind of one more whitetail with a different method to take. Yeah, no, that's really cool, man. That sounds like a uh, good plan for this season for sure. And that was something I did like, and I know I kind of mentioned it in the intro there, but when you uh, when you are sharing your content and stuff, something I couldn't help but notice uh, is just the, the writing that you get into everything and just the way that you choose to explain things. I really enjoy It's, I think, some people are pretty cut and dry with a, I was there and I shot it and I picked it up and now it's in the freezer, you know, <laughs> and yes, uh, yeah. you just have a really good way of describing things, even within writing. Like when I read a lot of the stuff that you've posted and, you know, a lot of the moments of just your yeah endeavors in the outdoors and stuff, it's just, I really do enjoy reading it. I don't know if you have any writing background or enjoy creative writing or anything like that, or if it's just something that naturally comes to you, but I definitely enjoy the way you put things. Yeah, I definitely I don't have much of a background, but uh, outdoor writing is definitely something I, I aspire to do. Maybe someday, maybe write an article or two for maybe a, a small magazine or something. Be real cool. I'd I'd like to do that. That's cool, man. Yeah, I definitely think you yeah you're right up the alley of doing that because I enjoy reading the stuff that you do share, and that's kind of what I was thinking too. I was like, man, these are like it's like a blog style article posts and a lot of your things, and yeah, it's really cool. Really appreciate that. That's really, really kind of you. And yeah, it's uh, really speaks to what I'm trying to do. You know, uh, I try to speak like you don't have any knowledge on it at all. So if I don't lay it out there, you're not going to get it. So I got to lay it out, you know, and, and how I would want something presented to me. And, you know, I'm a detail oriented person. So I want to, I want to know the details. So that, that's how I like to, to do up those small posts, you know, so I appreciate yeah. the kind words. Oh, for sure, man. No, that's really, really nice. I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. It's, I was really looking forward to talking to you. I got a little bit of the fog from the Canada Day long weekend. I know <laughs> it's just <laughs> there's a lot going on with the family. I hope you had a great weekend. I know you guys were out and about doing a lot of stuff too. But you betcha, yeah, not too bad. But yeah, no, it's awesome to catch up with you and finally have this chat. And hey, doing, I'm uh, 
proud supporter of Alberta Wildlife Stories. I got these stickers now. Thanks for those. Oh, for sure, dude. Thank you. And yeah, I'll be gladly advertising uh, advertising your your little hobby here with uh, on the back of my truck with these stickers. Absolutely. Oh, nice, dude. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate what you're doing, man. You're doing a great job, and keep it up, and uh, hopefully, you know, keep uh, keep pumping out good stories and good conversations with some uh, other Albertans here. So I uh, really appreciate it. Aaron. Oh, dude, I appreciate it tons. And thank you for doing that and slapping it on the truck. That's really badass. And uh, yeah, no, again, like from the beginning, you just, you, you always seem to always have, Oh man, I enjoyed this about this conversation. So I, I appreciate you listening and sharing your feedback and everything too. And all the support you've given this for forward and everything has been really nice. And I was stoked to, talk to you and get to know you more and hear some of your own experiences and yeah i hope you have the best of luck this september and i'm looking forward to seeing hopefully some more stories some more uh some more successes hopefully with the shotgun slug there and everything too and i'd love to have you on again yeah in the future and maybe even you know in the dead of winter after the season closes i'd love to hear some of your stories from this coming up season would be awesome man absolutely buddy and yeah that that support's always going to be there it's uh you know the old saying a rising tide lifts all boats man so you know i appreciate what you're offering to to all the guys like myself and and you know some of these guys that are local and yeah no it's it's great and yeah i'd love to catch up with you again absolutely and i hope you have a great season uh thanks man yeah best of luck shoot straight and keep tinkering man yeah you too brother and uh 100% hopefully I can see you at Hoggins I'd love to meet you before and even yeah to shoot some targets with you would be sick too alright I'll, I'll let the wife know that you said that we'll see, yeah. we'll see if I can get that permission yeah <laughs> that'd be awesome yo you take care Luke you have a great night and thanks again man yeah you too take care thanks bye